Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. OIS Podcast listeners, welcome back to the podcast. This is Tom Salemi. Thanks for joining us. We've got a few things uh, to cover today. First of all, we've got a great story. It's the story of a, a, a startup, a six-year-old startup, but let's call it a startup. It's a privately held company. And it's gotten to the point where it has two uh, really potentially huge products in phase two clinical trials. And it expects the kind of news that uh, could really tilt the scales for it within the next six months, perhaps by early 2017, the kind of data results that could put it in position for an IPO or a really strong acquisition. And it's gotten this far without a stitch of venture capital. So it's a real innovative story, both on the clinical side and on the boardroom side. The company I'm talking about is Allegro Ophthalmics. Its executive team has a great pedigree. Uh, they co-founded and led ISTA Pharmaceuticals to its very successful outcome. And now they're working a lot of that same magic on Allegro. Well, we'll I'll let... Uh, Vic can get into the, the details of the technology, but they, they really have taken this, this technology called intricate peptide therapy and developed it into two really later stage clinical products uh, tagging, uh, attacking rather retinal diseases. So this is a company definitely worth watching. We, we hope we'll hear some great news from them uh, at upcoming OISs, and they're working with us on OIS at ASRS. And uh, it's just the sort of story uh, that can really not only deliver solid results for investors and good news for entrepreneurs, but, but important new treatments for, uh, for patients uh, dealing with retinal disease. As Vicken gets into, into this conversation, we're at a point with the retina where we really need that next generation of product that not only restores vision that previously had been lost, but takes those improvements even further, gives people a better quality of life. So they're doing very important work as as many in ophthalmology are. So I'm really happy to be bringing you this story. And again, I wanted to, to dive into um, OIS at ASRS. This is an important new contribution or addition to our OIS lineup. Uh, it's preceding the ASRS annual meeting in San Francisco. And uh, the, the agenda looks terrific. Go to ois.net, and we hope you'll register and join us on August 8th in San Francisco. Now let's get into this conversation with Vikan Karagosian of Allegro Ophthalmics. Vikan Karagosian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. Very happy to have you here. Very happy to have you involved in uh, OIS at ASRS. It's coming up on August 8th. And uh, a lot of exciting uh, things happening uh, in the retina space. And we'll get into that a little later in the conversation. But first, I want uh, to take a few minutes to, to learn a little bit about uh, Allegro and just... Uh, its origins and uh, and how it came to be. Could you could you back up and and start at the beginning? Uh, this is your third company, and maybe you can fill in our listeners uh, in your uh, complete background if they're not aware of it. But uh, what have you done previously, and, and how did you get into Allegro? Tom, first of all, I wanted to say thanks for having us on on this. We really appreciate uh, being able to participate in OIS at ASRS, and also have the opportunity to give everybody a little bit more uh, insight into what we're doing here at Allegro Ophthalmics. Uh, as far as the origins of the company go, uh, let's talk about the team first. Um, the team here at Allegro is a very experienced and seasoned team in ophthalmology, particularly in ophthalmology drug development. Uh, Hampar, our CEO, was global head of R&D to Allergan for 24 years. 
After that, both Hampar and I and several other members here at Allegro were the co-founding team of ISTA Pharmaceuticals, and we stayed uh, through ISTA all the way through its IPO in uh, 2000. We also started another company called uh, Vitrorenal Technologies, which uh, got all the way into phase threes with the vitrolytic agent. And then uh, this company, Allegro Ophthalmics, we started about six years ago, and we're happy to tell you we're in multiple U.S. phase twos now, first in diabetic macular edema, as well as in vitreolysis, looking for PVD or posterior vitreous detachment. The nice thing is we're far enough along in six years in this company that uh, we expect these phase twos in DME and PVD to read out in early 2017. Do you do you enjoy starting companies? I'm guessing you do, since you've you've done it three times. And with Allegro, was it something you sought out? You wanted to find something to build a company around, or do you just happen upon these uh, platforms that can become successful companies? Uh, if I didn't enjoy what I was doing, I'd be quite the masochist. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, there's easier ways to make a living, but I really enjoy actually what I'm doing. It's very exciting to take an idea and nurture it and nurture it and nurture it and actually turn it into something that uh, is very useful to patients and to the uh, ophthalmology community and in this case the retina community. So no, it's something that we're very passionate about. Uh, to answer your question, when it comes to uh, where these ideas come from, some of them are homegrown, but usually in the case of Allegro, for example, the technology came out of Caltech. We didn't just stumble upon it though. Um, when we were looking at angiogenesis, we said, you know, other people have tried integrin targeting with antibodies, but very few people have taken the approach of using a small RGD class or synthetic RGD class compound to target integrins. We saw, so what we ended up doing is in a very thoughtful approach, we said, you know, work out of uh, Scripps clinic down in San Diego came up with the idea that these small peptides, these RGD class peptides really bind up the integrins associated with angiogenesis, whether it's on the oncology side or on the retina side. And what was interesting is nobody was looking at these type of peptides for retinal angiogenesis. So when we started putting the pieces together between what Scripps had done and the fact that there were no active molecules being pursued in ophthalmology, we went to Caltech to the people that we knew there, and we've had a 20-year relationship with and said, you know, under contract, we'd like you to design a molecule for us that fits these characteristics. And uh, in, a couple, in about two years, they did. So it was not finding what they had off the shelf, more saying to them, look, you know, we see these different needs, the need in ophthalmology for an anti peptide, the concept that anti peptides uh, work in this space came out of Scripps 15 years ago, and then going to Caltech and saying, hey, why don't we partner together and see if your infrastructure can help develop something like that. That's how that came to be. Oh, okay, great. Well, let's, let's uh, bring us up to date, talk a bit about, uh, about your product, about Luminate. And, it, and how does it work, and sort of where is it going to fit, you hope, if you get approval, into the, the, the clinical, um, the clinical path, pathway? So luminate is a small molecule peptide. It's a it's a it's a ten amino acid sequence. It binds to uh, three different integrin receptors responsible for renal angiogenesis. Integrins are cell surface uh, receptors that also uh, plug into the machinery inside the cells. Unlike anti-VEGF drugs, which work on the signaling pathway for angiogenesis. So let's take a diabetic eye for example. A diabetic eye has low oxygen levels from the diabetic damage. The low oxygen levels produce a signal, in this case, a VEGF signal that says, go make more blood vessels. And that's what you try to turn off with anti-VEGF drugs. 
when you actually get to the dirty business of constructing the angiogenesis, constructing the new blood vessels, that construction process, the bringing in the construction materials, doing the local demolition to drive a new blood vessel through solid tissue, all of that construction phase is integrin mediated. Integrins are responsible for how the cells talk to each other, how they communicate with each other to remodel tissue and rebuild tissue. So where integrins work is in a very, very different place. Rather than working on the signaling pathway, they work on the construction aspects of angiogenesis. That's fascinating. And, and talk about your, your pipeline and where you are with uh, your clinical trials. Sure. So Illuminate, our lead molecule, our lead uh, asset, has two unique mechanisms of action. It's an anti-integrin peptide, as I said. One aspect of it is that it's directly anti-angiogenic. We've already had nice human proof-of-concept studies that, that looked really nice in both diabetic macular edema as well as in wet macular degeneration. This drug also has another mechanism of action, which is vitriolysis. It breaks down the vitreous jelly in the eye uh, without damaging the eye, without damaging the retina. With these two different mechanisms of action, we are currently in U.S. Phase 2s for both of these endpoints. Number one, for diabetic macular edema. We're currently in our phase two studies in diabetic macular edema looking at the drugs, first of all, for safety, of course, then looking at monotherapy uh, efficacy, and then also looking at combo therapy efficacy and treat and maintain efficacy. On the vitreolysis side, we also have the Pacific study of a posterior vitreous detachment study that looks at the induction of a posterior vitreous detachment or breaking down the vitreous in an eye that already has non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy. The idea here is, is that when you break down the vitreous jelly, you prevent diabetic eye disease from marching forward because you get rid of the drug depot effect of the vitreous as well. All that VEGF that accumulates from the diabetic disease sits around right in front of the retina in the vitreous. If you liquefy and break down the vitreous, you protect the eye in the long haul from moving forward in diabetic disease. Both of these phase two studies, the Del Mar DME study and the Pacific PVD study uh, should read out right around the, the first of 2017. Wow. How, how, how were they intended to, to sync up like that, uh, to have two? They were intended to be about a quarter, uh, a quarter apart from each other, but they're syncing up now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's exciting. I mean, it's going to make for, I hope a very great new year. Um, what, uh, You've you've had some with the Del Mar study. You, you've you've had some additional. Uh, you brought in some additional patients for to 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 sort of broaden the, that study a bit. Can you can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Uh, when this company was first founded six years ago, and our proof of concept studies were done maybe you know, two or three years ago, they were everything was done in monotherapy, and we got very nice results in monotherapy. Where, as far as I'm aware, we have the first non-anti-VEGF drug that by itself in monotherapy could give you robust improvements in vision and retinal anatomy. Same within DME, same within wet AMD. So our first approach was to say, okay, let's see what monotherapy looks like. Let's get our dose ranging sorted out. Let's see what safety looks like. But we have to look at the market realities as well. Uh, everything, all the anti-VEGF drugs are going to be going generic by 2019 to 2020, depending on the market. 
What's also happening is as the anti-VEGF market has matured, there seems to be a real need from a market and clinical standpoint of being able to use these drugs in combination or and being at least be able to use these drugs together, whether it's in combination or in treat and maintain. So as the market has evolved over the last two or three years, so have our clinical programs to meet these needs. So we're trying to answer all of these questions at the same time in these studies. How does Luminate look in DME and monotherapy? How does Luminate look in DME and combo therapy? And how does Luminate look in DME and treat and maintain therapy? On the vitriolysis side, as far as I'm concerned, there really isn't anything uh, practically on the market right now. You know, there's Jetria, but uh, that's not doing very well for its safety issues. And, and I know you still you, you still practice medicine, correct? You still... I do. I'm an ophthalmologist. I still practice once a week. How are how is anti-VEGF seen? I mean, this was obviously something, uh, or the the treatment scene. This was obviously something that came along uh, years ago. Is is helped restore people's vision and done a great deal. But are we at a point, uh, sort of a tipping point, where there's a uh, expectation for uh, a next generation of drugs to to sort of pick up the ball from uh, so from where it's being left off right now? Tom, you know, I really, I very much agree with you that. Uh, I do think that we're at a, we're getting close to the point of a retina 2.0. I mean, if you go back seven or eight years ago, before the anti-VEGF drugs hit the market, I mean, patients basically had macular laser and things like this, which weren't great, or PDT. And the reality is, is that when the anti-VEGF drugs came out, whether it's Avastin, Lucentis, or Ilea, you went from everybody went blind or most people went blind to at least you've staved off the worst things that can happen in these patients and. For a very long time, these you know these patients have have had the uh, the uh, reaction of you know thank you doctor for you know saving my vision, but as this has become more routine and more mature over the last seven years or eight years, I think we have gotten to a new tipping point where the patient's expectations are starting to evolve. The patient's expectations are are starting to change. In my in my opinion, where you are seeing this retina 2.0 in the sense that. The patients are saying, you know, I'm glad I'm not going blind. I understand that it could be much worse, but I still can't drive or I still can't read or I still can't work. And where it's not just the avoiding the worst things that can happen, but actually having the patient be able to increase their, their functionality is what's starting to become the new thing that's important for the patients. And I think that's where illuminate our lead molecule uh, comes in. You bring a unique mechanism of action. You bring something that seems to have a robust uh, clinical benefit with increased durability and the potential to, to supplement and complement what's, on, what's uh, available with anti-VEGF. I mean, if you look at just the U.S. with uh, wet AMD and DME, you have more than 5 million patients in the United States with these diseases. You can't treat everybody with just one category of drug. I don't care if it's diabetes or hypertension or oncology or glaucoma, whatever it is. When you have this large a patient population, it's nice to have three or four different options so that you can get everybody to a good place. And I would assume reducing the number of injections necessary is just uh, always, uh, would always be welcome would always be welcome, I think, for everyone. It's interesting when we talk to some of the regulators in Europe, they're even more interested in reducing the number of injections because the number of retina specialists available in the European markets is much more restricted than in the U.S. Hi, everybody. Tom here. I wanted to get a quick break from this conversation with Vic and Karagosian to remind you to go to OIS.net, not only to check out the OIS at ASR agenda, which you probably should have done already, but also to sign up for the Eye on Innovation newsletter. Uh, this newsletter will come to your inbox every single week. 
with fresh podcasts, fresh content, and fresh videos from our OIS uh, news teams and our OIS events. So go to OIS.net to sign up for the Eye on Innovation newsletter. Now let's get back into this conversation with Vic and Karagosian. And uh, going back into your, 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 your company creation history, I mean, you, you, you mentioned ISTA, you mentioned Vitrio Retinal Technologies. I know you raised $200 million or so for both of those companies uh, from venture capital. You've, you've, or at least partly from venture capital, you've taken a completely different approach with, with Allegro, which is really fascinating because there's so much, we talk about innovation on the technical side and innovation even in the practice side, but there needs to be innovation in the financing side as well. Can you talk a bit about uh, how you've gotten the money to, to run these clinical trials and get as far as you have? Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks, Tom. The idea here is is that um, I've been doing this now for 22, 23 years since we uh, founded ISTA Pharmaceuticals back in 1993. Uh, again, most people take the traditional approach of, you know, venture capital and then uh, crossover financing and then either a partner, you know, either partnering with big pharma or taking it public and selling, selling the drug themselves or partnering that, there as well. We've taken a bit of an unusual approach that's evolved over time. Over the last two decades, what we've developed, and this comes from a, just from our relationships and our ex- experience in doing this again and again, is trying to find better ways uh, to find financing and more creative ways. What we've done with Allegro, which is pretty unusual, is that we are now in our late stage, uh, phase two, late part of our phase two studies, and all of our financing has come from regional licensing deals with Asian pharmaceutical companies rather than through venture capital. The founders of Allegra Pharmaceuticals were very fortunate that they did, they made some money at ISTA Pharmaceuticals and were able to fund their own seed rounds. But once we got through the seed rounds in a small Series A with uh, people from the industry, what we basically did is went as rapidly to human proof of concept as possible and said, you know, let's torture test this drug and see if there's something here to, to pursue or not to pursue. And with with torture testing the drug, we were very fortunate that we found that the drug responded very well. And in, in 20, 30 human eyes, you could show it again and again that in DME and in wet macular generation, you could get a lot of patients to improve both in vision and in retinal anatomy. And it was based on those early successes in human proof of concept studies that we were able to go to regional partners in 2013 with our first regional licensing deal with a Japanese company, Senju Pharmaceuticals, for Japanese licensing rights. And from that Japanese licensing right, we got an eight-digit upfront payment that funded our you know, part of our Phase Two program. In January 2015, we did the same thing again with Har- Han- excuse me, with Hanmi Pharmaceuticals out of Korea, and we did the same thing where we did a combination of a regional licensing deal and a partial equity for both South Korean and the Chinese markets as well. Uh, what we have saved for ourselves is the rest of the world, including the, the crown jewels, the U.S. and Europe, of course. What we anticipate will happen is we're doing a parallel approach right now along with our clinicals. So in our clinicals, we have our DME programs, the Del Mar programs, and the PVD programs, the Pacific programs. They should read out, as I said, in early Q1 2017. From a financial standpoint, this is mirrored by uh, numerous strategic partner discussions uh, with everybody you can imagine in ophthalmology and in diabetes or, or people who already want to get into ophthalmology as well for U.S. and European rights 
assuming that one of these aspects of the phase two studies comes out successful as we hope. In parallel to that, we've also been uh, forwarding our crossover partner discussions as well with the idea of doing potentially a crossover round in an IPO as well if the markets uh, allow. Do you anticipate that the sale of those rights will, um, I don't know, diminish the interest of, of investors? Or as you said, you've got the... You've kept the big two markets to yourselves, so uh, I'm guessing that'll uh, still make you a very attractive target. It's very interesting, actually. So um, we have we've had long-term relationships with many of the uh, many people in the pharmaceutical industry and people at uh, that are currently in many of these uh, companies that we're discussing with. So we actively told these potential European and U.S partners that said, you know, look, we're looking at, you know, I know we're talking to you here in Switzerland or here in, you know, in Southern California or Texas or wherever you might be. And what's interesting is while we've had these discussions for global rights, we said, look, you know, how much, how would you react as a potential partner a year or two from now if we gave, uh, if, if Korea, China, and Japan are off the table? And the answer was unanimous. And the answer was, you know, because you still can get the U.S. and European rights, we're still very interested. You might diminish your your value of the deal 5 or 10%, but that was something that we thought was a very worthwhile trade-off. Not in one instance have we heard that uh, somebody wouldn't want to do a deal with us because they couldn't get Japan or they couldn't get China. That's great. If, it, you, couldn't get, if you couldn't get the U.S., that's a very different situation. <laughs> I would think it would be. And have you got some sense of, you know, it's hard to project what a IPO market might look like in 2017, but are you, you're, you're confident that it could be something that's still on, on the table for you? Yes, we are actually. And the bankers we've been talking to feel the same way, that the choppiness that we've seen in the first half of the year seems to be subsiding. And the way the markets are, the way the markets are going, in addition to us, of course, having good data and one of the different three or four things that we're doing in phase two, you should make for a compelling story. Excellent. Well, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting six months for you. How do you uh, contain all your enthusiasm? <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> Luckily, we have a, we have a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of energy. Excellent. Uh, well, we're we're very enthusiastic ourselves about OIS at ASRS, and uh, happy to have you uh, happy to have you there with us. Uh, this, as you noted, is just a it's a real kind of a golden age for for retina treatments. It seems. Absolutely, and I think that the need is there and the demand is there, and we're very happy to be a part of it. And we're also very happy to be part of OIS as well. We look forward to seeing you in San Francisco. Terrific. Well, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having us, Tom. Well, thanks, Vic and Karagosian, for sharing Allegro's story. Uh, really well done in putting together that company with that pipeline and uh, getting it as far as you have. Uh, without uh, venture capital. No offense to venture capitalists, of course. Thank you to our OIS podcast listeners for joining us on the podcast. It's, uh, it's great to have you here, and we will expect to see you at OIS at ASRS. It is coming up. Go to OIS.net, check out the agenda, register, and we will see you in San Francisco.